Well, it's always a privilege to uh, to share with you from the Word. Um, I want to apologize to you ahead of time. Uh, the slides are going to have a lot of words on them. <laughs> I should have had more pictures. One of the uh, difficulties of being a teacher is you tend to uh, uh, focus a little more on uh, thoughts and uh, concepts and things like that. But um, I wanted to um, add to, Pastor had talked about the, the month of fasting and prayer. And so uh, in praying about it, uh, I conferred with the pastor about how to maybe help you. You know, really, uh, what I'd like to do is kind of lay some things out for you so that uh, the idea of fasting and uh, prayer maybe becomes a little more meaningful for you at this point. So what I'm going to talk to you about is the purpose of spiritual disciplines. Fasting is a part of spiritual disciplines. Uh, spiritual disciplines, once you go to the next slide, it, <clears throat> there's a variety of, um, of uh, thoughts behind it, but the purpose of spiritual disciplines is to focus us on the Lord. <clears throat> now, whether you're actually going without food or you're doing the Daniel fast of just vegetables or you're getting, not taking sweets or whatever, the whole idea behind it is not the fasting, it's the reminding Okay, <clears throat> when you feel a little hunger pain, when you're wanting that sweet or whatever it is, it's to remind you to look to the Lord. You know, why am I doing this? Um, <clears throat> I really identify with the fact of how hard it is to fast, and it really is. And especially if you're not used to it, uh, it does seem like a cruel form of punishment that you're experiencing before the Lord. But <clears throat> the idea behind it is to remind you when those things come along to focus back on the Lord and not on your circumstances, not on the things that you're going through. Uh, sometimes when we get into daily routines, you know, and we're just charging through the day, whether we realize it or not, there's a tendency in us to not think of the Lord. How many of you have had a moment during the day and when you thought, I haven't had one thought about God? Today, or I haven't had one uh, iota inclination to look for the Lord in my, uh, around me or, or what he's doing. And so these are ways to specially enter into a time in which we are constantly reminding ourselves to look to the Lord. Once you go to the next slide, the the thing is, is there's various forms of spiritual discipline. We, we talk a lot about Bible study and meditating on the word. Uh, daily prayer, you know, where we're, we're taking that time to, to make a request, to talk to God, um, using our gifts in service uh, to others, giving, as Pastor had talked about, uh, having fellowship with one another, doing good works, um, witnessing for our, uh, you know, sharing our faith, and of course, fasting, as we're talking about. Normally, prayer and fasting go together. And so there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that uh, in in just a minute. But it's an intense time of waking ourselves up, making ourselves look around during the day, and um, uh, reminding ourselves of the Lord. Now, there's several reasons behind fasting. One is in Isaiah 58, it talks about giving your food to the poor. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, where sometimes you see someone and is in a greater need than you, and you give what you have. Uh, at that moment. Now, it's going to be a sacrifice for you, but you give it because you you know that they're hungry and maybe haven't eaten for a while. 
Uh, it's also a means of humbling ourselves. It's definitely not a, a proud time. It's a time of need. It's a time of, of going without, and it's a humbling of ourselves. Sometimes it adds intensity to our prayer. People who are sometimes greatly depressed or sad over different things will go without food because they are feeling this need to really push through uh, in prayer. And so fasting can be that. It can also be a time of breaking the control of flesh. You know, like we say, you know, we're going to give up something because we, we do not want our bodies to rule our life. We want our bodies to serve uh, God and, and the life that God's given us. Uh, but the biggest reason for fasting and prayer is to refocus, to refocus on the Lord, to get God back into the center of our thinking and our understanding. I'm going to get hung up on this thing here. Help Jesus. All right. Let's, um, let's go to the purpose again. It's an intense time of seeking getting alone with God, humbling our hearts before him, submitting our physical wants to giving up the time to be with the Lord and to feed on God's word, spiritually see God working in ways we would not see God working in our lives normally. Now, usually, if, if you're going through the process of actually not eating food, you know, obviously you're not cooking, and so you have more time, right? So one of the purposes of that is to uh, take that time. Now, sometimes when you're in a family, um, now I cook breakfast in the morning, and so not only am I fasting, but my wife is being inconvenienced, okay? So uh, she also is being reminded to pray, Right? Right, Karen? Okay. Sometimes she's saying, I haven't had a good breakfast for a while. And I'm saying, yeah, well, it's for Jesus. And uh, so, but it's, it's a time we back off and um, we have a time in which we are intensely seeking the Lord. Now, don't forget, we're seeking the Lord this month so that we may see what he wants to do in our lives. We might see what he wants to do. Uh, during worship, by the way, we have a wonderful worship team, don't we? I just, uh, Sharon and the team do such a great job. You know, I, I just get so blessed. I, I just think God has given us such a gift. During the worship, I really had a sense of the largeness of God, that God is getting ready. He's put his hand on this church. Sometimes uh, I had someone, one time I had a church and it grew and it was doing very, very good. And someone asked me, what is the secret? And I said, I don't know. I said, I think God put his hand on us and blessed us. And that's the truth. Now, I'd like to take credit for it, but I've learned that that's a bad thing to do. Because God is the one who gave us all of our abilities and gives us the in unusual circumstances that make things grow that you could not have orchestrated. And so we're looking to see how God will bless us and bless our church. Now, I want to go to the passage of Scripture that I felt would speak to us maybe and would help us to understand. So go to the next slide, and um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through uh, 29. Now, don't let that scare you. We'll kind of move our way through this quickly. I told you I was going to throw a lot of words at you. Here they are. Um, now, let me give you the context. This is a, a situation where Jesus is, um, he's gone up to a mountain, and he's taken three disciples with him in order to seek the Lord. 
and he's left nine disciples uh, back down below, and uh, they get into trouble. They get into a situation that doesn't turn out well for them. But the thing I want you to understand about the context is this. Jesus had the discipline in his life of prayer and fasting. Jesus would, uh, if, if you're going to set aside the three primary forms of discipline that are most effective in your life, it is silence, solitude, and staying awake. I'm not talking about just staying up. I'm talking about the fact that we need to keep reminding ourselves that we need to be turning to the Lord. We are in dependency upon the Lord. Now, those three normally aren't the things that we think about. Usually, we think about Bible study. We think about prayer. We think about, uh, you know, fasting and those kinds of things. But I want to tell you this. If you've ever had a time in which you sit down, turn off the TVs, turn off the computers, and just be quiet... It's one of the most excruciating times uh, that you're going to experience, especially if you set the clock and sit there for an hour. Pretty soon, after five minutes, you're thinking, what in the world am I going to do with myself? You know, all these thoughts crash in, everything comes along. But it's probably one of the times in which if you'll work through it and get quiet, you'll start hearing God you'll start realizing there's things that God will bring up in your life. There's things that all of a sudden, what you've been pushing away and distracting yourself from, you begin to have to face. And that's when you begin to see who you really are, what's really going on in your life, and where your thought life really is at. And so that's an important time. And it needs to be in a place of solitude. That's why the Bible says, go into your closet, shut the door, and seek the Lord. Because it's in silence and solitude that you begin to see who you really are, where you really are. And it begins to give you the opportunity to break through, if you learn how to break through with the Lord. Now, Jesus did this. Now, in many cases, he would just say, you guys go on. I'm going to go up to the mountain. I'm going to spend time with God. Now, what kind of prayer life did Jesus have? Well, uh, when he gets up to the mountain, now he takes three with him because I believe that Jesus knew that something very unusual was going to take place uh, in that prayer time. But we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's where Jesus, during the time of prayer, literally steps into heaven. And uh, the way it's described is the disciples are, are extremely frightened because this is not just a normal prayer meeting, okay? This is where Jesus not only begins to glow, but he begins, he meets Moses and Elijah. Now, at that time, Jesus was going through a process. He was having to face his crucifixion. It was close now. He knew he was going to die. And whether you uh, appreciate it or not, this was the hardest thing Jesus had to face. In fact, as he even asked the Father, could this cup pass from me? But he sits there, and it says Moses and Elijah are speaking to him about his crucifixion. And so here is this incredible experience. Now, for Jesus, this may have come to the place where it was very normal for him. I don't know. But it was certainly an unusual experience. Now, Peter didn't know what to do with it. And Peter says, oh, let's make two churches here. <laughs> let's build two tabernacles here, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And, uh, of course, then God comes in a cloud, uh, uh, what we call the Shekinah glory cloud, and he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, here's, here's something that's really important. 
it's not important how much you talk to God. It's important how much you listen to God. And so here, Peter, scared to death, jumps up and says, oh, well, let's do something. You know, and God says, no, listen, listen. Now, after this incredible experience of prayer and fasting, after having gone up and been with the Lord, they're coming down from the mountain. And what they bump into is something that's troubling. So let's read it. Now, he comes in, and there's a crowd. There's a crowd gathered around his nine disciples. Um, He's arguing, and he's arguing with the Pharisees. He's arguing with them, and Jesus is wanting to know what this is all about. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever uh, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Now, there's another verse that I didn't put in here. Obviously, I threw a lot of verses at you here. But it says that as Jesus is coming down out of the mountain, as he and the three disciples are approaching this argument and this crowd and this commotion that's going on, it says the crowd was filled with wonder. Now here's this boy thrashing around. Here's this uh, argument going on. And uh, over probably what should the disciples be doing? Should they be trying to do this? Should What was going on? And it says that when the crowd turned and saw Jesus, it says they were filled with wonder. When you have been In the presence of the Lord, there's an afterglow. And so here's this incredible demonic distraction going on. And yet when they turn and see Jesus, wonder hits them. Wonder hits them. And it says the crowd moved to Jesus. Now, One of the things that we deal with in our life is distraction. And especially when we're trying to get close to the Lord and we're trying to serve the Lord. And the enemy knows how to thrash about and cause such extreme distraction that we're not focused on God, we're focused on the problem. We're focused on the issue going on that's happening, the thing that's the loudest, the thing that's grabbing our attention. So we, we find something uh, really distracting. Number one, uh, here's a desperate dad saying, this, this thing's trying to kill my son. It's been going on for a long time in our lives. Can you please help us? The second thing that happens is the disciples try and they can't. The third thing that happens is the Pharisees begin to criticize them. And the fourth thing that happens is the crowd is standing there wanting to know what's going on. It's it's become a spectacle. And so the disciples are trying to do what Jesus has taught them to do, but it's not working. Have you ever had that experience where you take a scripture and 
I'm going to practice the scripture. I'm going to do this thing. And it just doesn't seem to work the way it looks like it works in the scriptures. And so here's this process of uh, tremendous distraction. Jesus comes down. He, he walks into that situation. And the presence of God steps into that situation. Jesus gets some information. And he says, what's going on here? Now, notice Jesus' reaction. Oh, unbelieving generation. Now, it's not that he's so mad at the Father or he's mad at the Pharisees. He's really disappointed in his disciples. You see, at this point, the disciples should have been watching Jesus to the point that they were getting what he, his, his source of authority was. Jesus would go and pray and be with God, and he would come away with an anointing in his life, a presence of God in his life, until one day the, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like that. How do we do that? And Jesus had thought they were at the point where he could leave them alone and go up to the mountain, spend some time with God, and it would be okay. He was wrong. Because when they come down, they were doing what he did, but they didn't understand what he had. Let's go on to the next uh, slide. Immediately, the father of the child cries out with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, this is an honest uh, reaction. Now, Jesus tells him. Now, now, now the first thing we uh, go to, when we want God to work for us, one of the first things we go to is pity. Will you please pity us? Lord, we're so messed up. And, and sometimes that's okay. How many of you have gone to God and fallen apart? You know, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. You know, no one likes me. I don't like me. You know, and we're just full of this. And we say, oh, God, don't you just feel sad for me? And I think God does. Sometimes I think God's going, yeah, you're a mess. But God doesn't want to give us his pity. In front of that father was God's answer, Jesus. God had already pitied us. He had already loved us. He already saw our brokenness and our inability. And he had sent Jesus so that he could die for us. Here's the, the Lord who's ready to be crucified. Offer his life in behalf of us. But what he wants us to do is to believe what we now can do in Jesus' name. We're not to be pitied. We're to be full of faith. And believe what power and authority we have in Jesus Christ. And so he tells the Father, anyone who believes all things possible to him. Who believes in what God is doing through his son Jesus Christ. Now the Father recognizes his need and he says, Lord, I want to believe. I, I'm struggling. Please help me. So when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had come into the house, now the deliverance is over, crowd's gone home. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? So he said to them, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, some of the manuscripts just have the word prayer, but the idea here is that they said, why couldn't we cast it out? Because you can do nothing without Jesus Christ. 
Let me show you another scripture. We'll we'll, uh, refer back to this a little bit, but the disciples' failure, let's go to the next slide. The disciples' failure was the fact that they were focused on the problem in themselves and not God. Jesus had come to the place where, uh, go to the next slide real quick, and we may want to come back to this, but I want you to see a scripture where Jesus makes a confession early on in John 5. Now notice this, this is Jesus, and he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Now we believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We believe that he was God in the flesh. And yet Jesus purposely put aside his godness so that he could be your example. Jesus is our example, not because he served out of his godness. He's an example because he served out of his humanness. That's just why Jesus said, I'm the son of man. He constantly said that. I'm the son of man. In other words, Jesus was the seed of Adam. And he said, I'm not doing this any differently than how you can do this. I'm doing it by dependency on the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do, listen, what he sees his father doing. If you want to know what Jesus, when he would wake up in the morning, he wouldn't say, okay, here's our daily plan. Here's our five points. Here's our five-year program. I'm not against those things. Those are good things. But what I'm saying is, he said, I'm looking for my father. You see, God's asking us to join him. He's not asking you. We're not asking God to join us. And that's usually what we do. We sit there and say, oh, God, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try to get things done. And Lord, go with me and help me. Make this thing happen. And really what we need to be doing, and when we get up each morning, is, well, what is God doing? What do you see God doing around you that you should join him? And it's a whole different level of discipleship and growth. He says this. Um, <clears throat> he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you may be amazed. Jesus was a loved son. Do you believe that you're loved by God? Do you believe you're a loved son or a loved daughter? Now, you may need to really reflect on that because I think some of us think that God's not happy with us. But the simple fact is, he loves you very much because he died for you. Okay, so the fact is that God wants to show you. You're a loved son, you're a loved daughter. He wants to show himself to you. He wants you not to be blind to him. He wants you to see him acting in and around you every day. Why? So that we can glorify God. So that we can join him so that God can flow through us and amaze, fill with wonder the people who are around us. Now, what is he upset about? He's upset with the disciples because, going back to our our story, he goes, he's upset with them because they hadn't learned how to go aside, how to get alone with God, how to seek the Lord, how to get a handle on what God is speaking to them and how God wanted to show himself to them. Let's go to the next slide, slide nine. 
So here it is. It was a failure to focus on God, to get alone with God. A failure to daily focus on God's presence and his working in and around them. I'm trying to keep an eye on time, so there's some things I'd like to say. I hope you come and take the class. We're going to do a class on, uh, and we're going to talk about how to stay focused on the Lord, uh, that type of thing. But let's go to the next one. (sighs) Go to the next one. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to understand what are spiritual disciplines about? If you're reading your Bible, if you're praying, if you're coming to church, if you're uh, serving so that you can fulfill your duty to God, that's okay. That's not a wrong motive. But that's not the purpose of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are so that you will focus on the Lord. That you'll learn how to see God, how to recognize him, how to apply his principles, how to do the thing that God wants you to do in, his, in, in your life, through your life. Okay, go to the next thing. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, people, when they saw God working, they literally named God by what they saw him do. For example, remember when Abraham goes up... Maybe you don't, but there was a story of the father of the Jewish people, actually the father of faith, Abraham. He goes up to the mountain. God tells him, I want you to offer your son. And uh, Abraham uh, was committed to God at this point in his life. He had learned to know the voice of the Lord, so he takes his son up to the mountain. He's ready to slay him, and God says, stop. He says, I know that now you fear me more than anything else. You're willing to obey even to the taking of your son's life. Now, this is not something I recommend on an average basis, but this was a deep need in Abraham's life, and God saw it. It says that when Abraham turned, he saw a ram in the bush. I learned that things from Sister Louise. Good to see you here this morning. And she told me, her mother always told her, there's a ram in the bush if you're looking around. (laughs) (laughs) but Moses got a name for God and the name it will be provided on the mountain it will be provided on the mountain and that's where we get Jehovah Jireh God our provider I'd like to tell you about the God of the two pink slips when I was pastoring early on we decided that we were going to add an educational wing to our building it sounds big, but it was just a little tiny church, and we were going to add about five rooms. And uh, But we had to get some money, and so I went to the people, and I said, if you believe that this is what we ought to do, then let's collect some money. And uh, being 23 years old, I did not have a great understanding of how to do that, except that I just told people, um, start writing some checks, dude. We'll take an offering, and we'll see what we have. And uh, there was a gal in there named Sarah Gutshaw, and she said, Pastor, I want to help. She stood up. She said, Pastor, I want to help, but I don't have any money. But she says, I'm going to give you my car. And she says, by the way, I have my pink slip with me right here. And she signed the pink slip over and gave it. And then she sat down. And then a few minutes later, she lifted her hand, and she said, could someone give me a ride home? And it was so funny because at the back there was another guy named Jack Wilde. And he got up and he said, I don't know why I did this either, but I have my car's pink slip. And he said, Sarah, I'm going to give this to you. 
And Sarah said, wow, that's a better car than the one I had. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, and anyhow, we, we, took, we, we, we took her car and it helped towards it. But anyhow, from that moment on, I call God the God of the two pink slips. You know, God was obviously there. God did that. Who could have arranged two pink slips coming that day and that evening? They didn't even know we were going to take up money. I didn't know we were going to take up money. But anyhow, it was just one of those things where we did it. When God does something in your life, name him. The God who rescued me from that accident. The God who saved my child. The God who gave me hope when I was depressed. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator because that is God in your life. That is your testimony. Remember when Sarah got jealous of uh, the Egyptian slave and she had had a child um, for Abraham and Sarah got jealous and she drove uh, that Egyptian maid out of the camp and she ran out of water and she was going to die. And she cries out to the God of Abraham. And God opens her eyes and she finds water. She finds a pool in the desert. And she names God the God who sees me. The God who sees me in my struggle. He sees what I'm going through and he rescued me. The thing I want you to understand is that one of the reasons we fast and pray is so that we remind ourselves every day. We remind ourselves every time that hunger pain hits, every time that denial of the the sweets or whatever it is, that's a moment in which we stop and we look around and say, do I see the Lord at this moment? Or have I seen God and didn't realize it? And then... If you have, write it down. The God who gave me the job. The God who protected me from the malicious gossip. Those are the times in which you all of a sudden recognize how much God loves you. Have you ever thought it's a personal relationship God wants with you? It's not just fire insurance. Hallelujah, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to go to heaven. That's not it. The idea is, is God loves you deeply and he wants you to see how he's caring for you, how he's involved in your life. When we run through the day, we're blind sometimes to all the times God helped you. Does that make sense? Have you ever woken up to the fact that God just did something for you? Well, shouldn't we just be awake? You know, just be awake and alert to the fact that God wants to be there in our life and love us and show us. Go to the next slide. God wants to show you where he's working. That's what he told, that's what Jesus told us. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. Psalms 105, I've just made this a a point of memory. It says, look to the Lord. Would you like to know my little way of doing it? Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Amen? 
when you look for God, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to see. And when you see, the more you look, the more you see, the more you see God, and the more God becomes personal, involved in your life. But the Holy Spirit does something else. He changes you. And you begin to have confidence in the Lord, and your faith grows. But the most important thing is that, I want you to look at the next slide. Paul writes this, and he says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, we're almost done. But I want to tell you another story. There was a story where Moses went up to the mountain, and he receives the law. But it says that Moses got to the place where he knew God face to face. And it says that as God was with, as Moses was with God, the glory of the Lord became so bright and transferred to his face that when he would go down among the people, the people could not look at Moses because of the brightness of his face. And so Moses put a veil over it. But the point, Paul says this in First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. He says this, he says, but the glory began to fade. And eventually Moses could take the veil off. But he says the problem with the Jewish people is that to this day the veil is over the glory. The veil remains hiding God's love and grace through Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to verse 18 and says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. When we turn to the Lord, when our fasting or our prayer begins to show us God and we begin to see him working, something takes place. The glory, the wonder of God begins to seep into our life, into our face. And it says at that moment, the veil's taken away. We can see God. Don't think that you have to go to heaven to see God. Now it says the wind blows where it wills. You can't see the wind, but you see its effect. We may not be able to see God's face, maybe as Moses saw it, but we can see the effect of God's presence. Amen? And so it says, when we turn to the Lord, the veil leaves. And all of a sudden, we become able to see the Lord. And then he goes ahead and he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Do you want that? Would you like to look more and more and more like Jesus? Would you like to be filled with his glory so that there's a wonder that flows out of your life? There was an evangelist years ago. His name was Charles Finney. And uh, he had just come back from doing some preaching up in upper state New York. And he was on a train and he was coming home. And God began to come on him. Now, you need to read it. He's a wonderful character. But he goes into the washroom to get himself under control. Because he was starting to weep and he was starting to go through this. So he gets up, goes into the bathroom, washes his face, tries to get himself composed. He comes out of the bathroom and he's walking down. And a guy is sitting there, looks up and goes... You convict me, sir, of sin. And he fell down on the aisle floor. Uh, Charles, uh, he didn't know what to do with that. What happened? 
What happened at that moment? The glory of the Lord was so much on Finney. He didn't even know he was glowing. He didn't even know he was carrying that kind of presence. You see, when you get lost in Jesus, God is not just blessing you. He's filling you. He's putting glory into you. So that, have you ever sat next to someone on a plane or on a train or whatever, and you know that they're a Christian? You just feel it. You just sense it. When we have the Holy Spirit, he's bigger than you. And he's touching more people than even you're aware of. But here's the key. The more we focus on Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And the more his presence and his glory flows through our life. So when we fast and we pray, when we read our our scriptures, when we fellowship with God's people, we do it with the motivation not to be praying for an hour or reading five chapters a day. We do it with the motivation that we might be connected to God in a greater way today. And when that happens, you will be surprised how God uses you. Now, sometimes we say, oh, Lord, help me to witness today. Well, God says, then stare into my face. Look into my face. Be with me, and then it will not be a problem. I'll witness through you. Amen? Amen. That's it. All right. So we're going to um, have our team come up at the end of... uh, the service will be over here and we'll be glad to pray for you. God bless you.